Hello, this is Rich Potter, and welcome to the What's So Funny podcast. All right, welcome back. Here we are again. So last week I spoke about my experience teaching circus skills to children, and this week it's going to be about children again, but in a slightly different setting. Juvenile detention centers. Now, I don't want to get into politics here, but I do have some bleeding heart empathy for the kids being separated at the border from their parents. Uh, Regardless of their parents' actions or who's at fault, these are children whose mental health is in jeopardy, and I have been wanting to do something for them. So a friend and colleague of mine, um, renowned mentalist Alan New, he had a similar feeling and began an entertainment program at a local youth detention center. When I found out about it, I said, great, you sign me up. And so at first, I think both he and I thought this would be a juvenile detention center filled with immigrant children and teenagers who were separated from their parents. It wasn't quite the demographic that I was wanting to help out, but this is something local. It was something that kind of fell in my lap. So I said, it's something I can do. I can take the edge off the situation. I'll pitch in. So as time moves on, it turned out not to be, obviously, a, it, it wasn't children like four or five, six years old. It was teenagers. It was not all Hispanics or, or immigrants. It was just yeah, some, some were uh, immigrants caught at the border and taken from their families and some was just going to be locals who were mixed up with the law in one way or another. Well, as time moved on a little more, I discovered they were mostly local juveniles. They were all teens. Only some were Hispanic, and there were some others who were just a little more local uh, American kids who had been running afoul of the law in one way or the other. So as time went on, it slowly became... Uh, I wouldn't say bait and switch, but it did change dramatically from what I originally imagined this project to be. But regardless, it's a group of young people who probably haven't had enough good, clean fun in their lives, resulting in them being in detention. So out of the deepest, most compassionate part of my heart, I volunteered anyway. Besides, I said I would, and I'd feel kind of a jerk to back out at that point. Through various questions and answers, I learned more and more about uh, this group. Some may have been separated at the border. Some were just kids who'd made bad choices. Some may have been uh, cases of mental illness that have run afoul of the law. And, oh, by the way, some might be MS-13. Additionally, some might have killed somebody. So I started to build a picture in my head expecting, you know, 14-year-olds with teardrop tattoos crossing their arms and staring at me with icy dead eyes, you know, wanting me dead. And so, anyway, the date came. I stepped down in, from my car, thinking about what the emails were telling me. Uh, you know, no wallets, no phones, no keys, no pens or pencils. And I'm thinking, you know, anything that can be stolen or used as a weapon needs to be out of uh, my possession. And here I'm showing up with a big suitcase full of juggling props, or 
a road case. Uh, it's an ATA case, which is uh, pretty heavy plywood uh, reinforced with steel hardware. As I'm unloading, I'm look, looking through my prop case and let's see, no machetes, no torches, no pointy sticks. The, the props, the prop case ended up pretty nearly empty. And so I eventually met up with Alan and his uh, partner in this project right before we got buzzed into the chain link fence with the razor wire on top. I had to drop my keys and my license into the little guy behind the window that I couldn't see and then walk through the metal detector, which was actually kind of interesting. I, I think I got all the the metal and the weapons and whatever could be used as a weapon out of my prop case. But the prop case itself is going to set off the metal detector because it is made of partially metal. So once I get booped through with the magic wand that uh, looks for all the metal on my person, the three of us, uh, me, Alan, and his assistant, I wish I remembered her name. I'm terrible with names. I've known Alan for about 20 years, and she was just a new person who actually I believe it was her, her originally it was her project, but uh, I got into the project through Alan. So in my mind, it's Alan's project, and I know that's wrong. Anyway, we, the three of us were ushered into the gymnasium, which is where the show is going to take place. Basketball court, a couple of basketballs strewn about, and a bunch of chairs set up in the middle facing towards one wall, which obviously that was my space along the wall. And we met with the activities coordinator and the security chief, I, or uh, for one of a, I don't know his actual title. Security chief sounds good to me. We had a little meeting so I kind of know the lay of the land and how things are supposed to go. I've never worked at a detention center before. And I'm sure there's different, different protocols for that setting that are above and beyond a show at a festival or uh, <laughs> at a corporate event. <laughs> you know, I, I have done birthday parties for seven-year-olds, and I figure I've, I've been roughed up by seven-year-olds, and I could probably handle 14-year-olds in a normal setting, but... I still had in my mind that some of these kids might have killed somebody. So uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a little trepidation. And of course, you know, before every show, every performer has butterflies anyway. So this, this just added to my stress and my, my worries and I'm, my internal dialogue is screaming. But I'm assured that although the, some of the kids are a little rougher and the, the boys are going to be separated from the girls, one side of the audience versus the other, and the ones that really want to kill each other will not be sitting together. So I shouldn't have too much trouble. And I was a little worried. It's like, well, what if someone like decides they want to make a scene and get some attention or you know, be the bad kid of the day? Am I in any danger? The uh, security chief, who I, I would describe as... Uh, a large, muscular, uh, physically fit man of African-American descent. He looked at me and said, don't worry, because if anything happens, there's going to be a big black man standing at the front of the room with you. And I thought maybe he has some other people working with him, and but I wasn't sure. I'm, I'm Mr. Clueless a lot of the time, so I just looked at him and I said, uh, kind of proud, because I, I worked it out. I said, are you the big black man? And he, he laughed at me and said yes. So sometimes I can work things out. It was one of my brighter days. So anyway, uh, once we get things figured out, they start 
bringing people in single file through the portal the the door that you know they had to buzz into the gymnasium and they were accompanied by a couple of guards and the kids started walking in and there I am saying standing at the front of the room kind of like a dork you know my plaid suit my nerd glasses and the show hasn't started yet I'm just standing there and realizing they just see this dork standing in the front of the room and like I said I get butterflies I get nervous I get anxious before a show and everyone has their own way of dealing with it the way I deal with it is I try to get at least one laugh before I enter the stage. And if I can't do that, I get one laugh before starting the show. But in, in this case, I'd say about three quarters of them had already been seated. And there, there was, it was a group of about 25, so probably about 20 of them were seated. I just walked to the back of the room where Alan was seated with his partner. I just, I stage whispered to them so that everyone could hear, of course, but I, I, I said very, quote, quietly, I'm going to hide back here where no one can see me so that I can make a big entrance and it will be a great surprise. As I said this, everyone started turning back and they heard me. And of course, I got some eye rolls, but some of them were actually giggling at it. So I considered that a win. My anxiety level lowered and I realized I was dealing with people and it was not teardrop tattoos or people who were wanting to murder me. It was just people, kids. As it were, I didn't see any tattoos on any of them. I went to the front of the room, started the show. I tend to start the show with some really dumb jokes, some really, really dumb jokes that work because they're so dumb. They usually get really big laughs from most audiences, but there is an age range where some kids roll their eyes. They think this is kid stuff, the grown-ups, say, wow, that's so dumb, I really enjoyed that moment. And then there's this age range where some kids don't want to be talked down to, or they think they're being talked down to, and if they do, they shut you off. And so I, I do these dumb jokes kind of as, as a tester to see what kind of audience I have. And to my delight and surprise, it was explosive laughter. I, I realized that I didn't really have to adjust much. I mean, there, there was one adjustment that I make, and this is for adolescent crowds. Again, it's kids love it, adults love it, but it's a little weird during adolescence. Um, I do a couple of bits where I wiggle my butt and then I make a comment on it. You know, the people who are behind me, I say, oh, you got the good seats. Instead, this time, I, I wiggled my butt all the girls were just dying laughing. They thought it was hilarious. Uh, I, apparently, I did it uh, unintentionally facing the, the female side of the room. Uh, but they were really digging it. And instead of saying they had the good seats, I acted a little more modest and tried to cover, cover up so that I was mock modesty, of course. As I'm doing the show, I'm scanning the audience to see if I'm getting along. And, of course, when I was preparing for the show, I expected mostly Hispanics, so I was brushing up on my Spanish and trying to figure out what jokes I could translate, what jokes I could uh, make about how badly I speak Spanish, uh, what jokes I can do more with pantomime versus, uh, versus words. And when I arrived, uh, you know, one of the first things I did was ask the crowd, hey, who speaks Spanish? English, who speaks Spanish. Then I asked the same questions in, in Spanish, and I got pretty much no reaction 
So I said, okay, fine, you know, plan A is gone. Plan B is my normal plan A. I did the whole show in English. I tried to throw out a couple of lines in Spanish here and there, and just it wasn't getting a reaction. But it turns out that there were only three Hispanic kids in this group of 25. All three of them were from the same gang, and one of them was the leader. I noticed that when the leader was laughing, the other two would laugh, and when he was not laughing, the other two would kind of look at him. <laughs> And so apparently that he was like a 15-year-old Tony Soprano and you know if he wasn't laughing no one else was allowed to. But the thing about the butt wiggling it probably is a non-issue but I did I got a memo once when I was working in a hospital. I did 9 years of therapeutic clown therapy uh, at the pediatric section of Johns Hopkins in Baltimore and uh, at one point I did a pants drop and a pants drop is uh, you're a clown, do something unexpectedly, your, your pants fall down, you're wearing pink underwear with polka dots on it, and, uh, which I did. My underwear, it, it had like black lace at the bottom. The black lace touched the top of my knees, so it's, it's not like it was very revealing. And I even wore underwear under it because to me that's... <laughs> that's how you do things. And then, you know, I have socks coming up to my knees, so... Really, the only skin showing was a little bit of patella. One teenager and her mom, between the two of them, I don't know who had the problem with it, but there was a problem, and the memo came back to me, and it was requested that I be more judicious in displaying this classic bit of clown lore in front of teenagers. So uh, that's probably why I was, um, I've, I've become more sensitive about butt wiggles in front of teenagers now. But, you know, live and learn. And uh, as comedians, we always have to make little adjustments. We have to make sure we are reaching our audience and we are not pissing off part of our audience. And also, sometimes the audience has to se select itself. And it's not really a luxury that we can afford as family entertainers. You know, if you are offending too many people as family entertainers, you <laughs> you lose gigs. But it, it's a delicate balance. That's why I like doing comedy open mic nights is because you don't have to censor yourself. Or rather, the censorship is different. In comedy, stand-up comedy, the, the rule tends to be punch up, don't punch down. And the, the meaning of that is... If someone is already in a group that's discriminated against or already disadvantaged in some way, like they're, they're poor or they, they are of an ethnic group that is already being crapped upon by society, you don't, you don't make fun of them. You make fun of the people who are doing the oppressing, the people who are already advantaged. So if you drag them down a little bit, that humanizes them and brings everyone on a more equal footing. But it's hard to do that when you're in front of mom and pop and a bunch of kids. You can't really talk about the injustices of the world and how we can make it a better place by going kumbaya and stick it to the man. One thing I really enjoyed watching during the show, though, looking out, and this group, I say 14-year-olds, they were like 14 to 18, or probably 14 to 17 and a half. I think at 18, they go to a different facility. So during the show, I would look out after I'd do a trick or, you know, I'd get a laugh or whatever, and I would see that the kids, 
would be, you know, they'd, they'd laugh and then sometimes they'd kind of turn to each other and talk uh, and then sometimes they'd talk or then shove each other and, you know, just playing around. It looked like playing around. It didn't seem violent or anything. And I had this great worry that the uh, the security officer, the uh, <clears throat> the BBM, as it were, would go in and break them up and say no touching or anything like that, which fortunately he did not. And I asked the activities coordinator after that, and I said that I was glad that that didn't happen. And she said she would have been so mad if he had. So apparently there is at least some level of wanting kids to behave like kids as long as they are being appropriate. I guess it's appropriate to shove your buddies if you're laughing about it, even in juvenile detention. So in any case, I really did enjoy this experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I, I hope to do it again. You know, there's no... Uh, it would be nice if there were some money thrown in to, to pay my bills, but it also just it does feel good to do that. And it, it reminded me of when I worked in the hospital for you know, nine years. The main mantra of our work was we're not looking at the child's sickness. There are people who do that. Our job is to treat the part of the child that's still a child, the part of the child that's well. I kind of feel like you know, this is very similar in that I wasn't going in to you know, perform for a bunch of criminals. I was going to perform for a bunch of kids who happen to have run afoul of the law. But inside, no matter how deep they are in the gang world, they're still kids. They're still developing. They're still learning who they are. I felt like I touched that part of them that was still developing. They're, they're still, you know, th- these kids, they can still turn around and, you know, learn learn a lesson. And I like to think that I provided an example of what you can do with discipline and perseverance and just a positive outlook that there are things other than being involved in gangs that can bring something positive to the world. It was a little bit strange for me to be doing what I did in front of kids of this age range. I'm trying to imagine myself of that age range. I look at myself as a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old Imagining myself sitting in that audience looking at the guy in the front of the room doing juggling tricks and making stupid jokes, I probably would have rolled my eyes and tuned out myself. (laughs) I think these kids were a better audience than I would have been at that age. But they lit up, they laughed, they clapped, they played along. Even if I didn't change their lives or open up their eyes to other possibilities, I know I at least gave them an hour of fun that broke up the the day-to-day experience of being in a juvenile detention center so it's fun they wouldn't have had otherwise so regardless of whatever highfalutin ideas i have i know i did something good i got to see them as kids being kids and i didn't know all their stories i still don't but i wish the best for them that's it for this week Hope to see you again next time. This has been the What's So Funny podcast with Rich Potter. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes on Wednesdays.